back I receive in the name of our country the bodies of four Marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. actually ask us to please take a moment of silence for the lives that have been lost and I will lead us in prayer before we turn to God's word. God, the, the loss of life is never an easy one to walk through. The grieving process is, is long and, and it's hard. And there are many lives, Lord, that have, have been lost to defend our nation and our, our freedoms. And Lord, I, I ask now for, for those families who have lost loved ones. Lord, that there would be a peace uh, within them that you are present and you are real that there would be a hope that was found solely in you but that the church would rise up to be a place uh, of bringing hope to lost and hurting people Lord I can't help but think of some of the statistics of the number of service men and women who are not believers uh, police officers and and firefighters and and anyone else, Lord, who places their life on the line to serve and protect other people. And they don't know you. And so, Lord, I'm asking that as we learn truth, we would be bringers of truth and light and hope and grace and mercy uh, to all people, but especially those who sacrifice uh, their life for the betterment of others. 
but God, we reflect greatly upon the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice in your son. And we, we thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice that paved the way for us to have eternity or spend eternity with you. Lord, I just ask that you would use today's service to show us who you are. Help us to, to press into you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you would please turn with me to the book of Malachi chapter 2. Growing up in church and, and being around church life, being in ministry, I've often heard that Christianity was defined as the word influence. Someone who was a Christian or a spiritual leader had influence uh, as they were a part of the evangelical circle. Now those of us who are followers of Christ need to realize the effect that we have on the people around us. Obviously, being a follower of Christ involves many aspects and many elements of one's life. You know, we have various responsibilities as Christians, uh, depending on our position. But in the end, what I would call followership of Christ is exerting influence. It's exerting influence. You know, being a follower of Christ is more than having an official position. It's more than having a title. It's more about pointing and directing people to the person of Jesus Christ. It's about living a life that glorifies God with our following. And so I want you to write something down, church. Followership is obedience to God at the highest level. Followership is obedience to God at the highest level. You know, God surveyed the land in the day of Malachi, and he saw those who were leading others well. As they were responsible, then also in turn for the spiritual decline of their families. Because they began to walk away and as we see here in Scripture, we will see what we've seen over the last two weeks. The nation of Israel was a nation of apathy. They had become indifferent to the things of God. And God continues to press the nation of Israel, press the case that those that represent him must be set apart for his glory. They must be set apart. And they must be representatives to those that belong to him. I mentioned last week that every child of God, so every person in this room and every person online or every person who will listen to this message in the weeks to come, if we have placed our trust into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we've been lifted out of, of hell and out away from the wrath of God, we are a child of God. And as a child of God, Peter says that we are of the priesthood, meaning that every single believer in Jesus Christ is a priest according to God's word, which also means as much of a, a blessing that that title is to give to a child of God, it also means that we are in line 
for the stinging rebuke of God. The stinging rebuke that has come here out of Scripture. And so if you're sitting in here today and you say, I have prayed for salvation in this life. I've been rescued by God. This message is for you. Nobody in here is exempt from the word of God. So this is for all of us, including myself. It's for every single one of us. We are all in line for this rebuke. Now, while greater judgment awaits those in specific areas of spiritual leadership, all of us who follow in any capacity need to heed today's words. So if you would look with me at verse number one of Malachi. And it says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. Don't get lost here, church. Don't get lost. Now, priests, this command is for, it's for every single one of us. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessing. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. Verse 3, behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And some of the hardest words of God to any single body is this. I will rebuke your offspring and I will spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offspring and you shall be taken away with it. And so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, and as we have read and heard these heavy words, we ask, Lord, that you would press upon our hearts areas that we need to change, areas that we need to grow to become more like you, so that we will be conduits and vessels of truth, Lord, use this passage today to minister to us, to challenge us, but to encourage us on where to go. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today, our churches and our nations are in desperate need of spiritual Christians to understand the importance of living for the glory of God. And being true representations of the message that God has for the people of our day. Do you know in this section of this book, the focus is on those who handle the spiritual elements and aspects of temple life. This this would not include just the priests here. 
So don't get lost where he says, oh, priests, the, the Christian life or the temple life was not just the responsibility of the priests. The Christian life today, the New Testament church, the church today is not just the responsibility of the pastor. Amen, church? It includes those who teach, those who serve in first impressions. It includes those who sing or play an instrument here on this platform or work with our little blessings downstairs. It includes those who pray over our church. It includes those who call and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every person is included. And the burning issue here in the text was that these people were corrupt. They were wicked people. They were teaching that God was okay with sinfulness. That was what was going on here leading up to Malachi's letter to the people. Their lifestyle and their lecturing were teaching that all things were permissible before God. And in, in, in doing so, their life became offensive in the face of a holy God. And so God is here trying to rein his people back in. And in fact, the result of what was going on here in Scripture is that the people of God were suffering because of their own sinfulness. And, and good followers, I have found in this life that good followers, good disciple makers, uplift God and help his people. I'm going to say that again. Good followers, good disciple makers uplift God and help his people. But, but bad followers, unspiritual people, they harm and hurt God's people. They harm and they hurt. Before we go any further though, we need to understand the text and the context and the tone of Scripture here. I think uh, over the last two weeks, we've kind of laid out the text and we've kind of pulled apart the context. And, and, and if you missed one of those weeks or you missed it, go back and listen to them online. And if you still have questions about the text and the context, then come and see me. We can talk. But a quick reminder to us. These are God's last words to his people for nearly 400 years. Last words. These people have grown weary of God. They've been argumentative with God. And so God sends the prophet and he reminds the people of God's love. Do you guys remember week number one? That was the very first issue that God tackled. I love you. I still love you. Was the first issue that he tackled. And then what happened? He then begins to rebuke the people. He reminded them that he loved them, and then he rebuked them. So a word, a word of encouragement to parents and grandparents in here. The best example that we have of, of parenting our children is the display of God. And so if our ch children, and this is just, just a little tidbit, if our children or our grandchildren need to be rebuked, they need to be corrected on something, please remind them that you still love them. Please remind A child's heart can be wounded like that. 
And then that child will look at, at God the Father the way that you handled them. One of the worst, worst things that we can do is to set an ungodly or an unholy example for the children around us. One of the things that we, and we do not do this perfectly, my wife and I, guilty as charged here, but one of the things that we attempt to do with our children is to sit down with them and explain to them why they're in trouble if they don't understand it, but to remind them that we love them and we want them to succeed and we're here to help them grow, to lead them closer to God. And so just like that, for those of you who say, well, I don't have any kids, or my kids are adults and they don't listen to me anyways, right? Or, or I don't have grandkids. Guess what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a spiritual parent to somebody else around you. You're a spiritual parent. And so do the same thing to the people that you are spiritually parenting just as you should with your children. Off my soapbox for just a moment. God was speaking here to ready the people for what was to come. He was preparing them for him to be silent. You know, I, I've realized in Scripture um, that sometimes Scripture is soft and sweet to my ears. Would you guys agree with that? Sometimes Scripture is soft and sweet to the ears. I've also realized that sometimes Scripture can be sad when you, when you think about the reality of it. I've also realized that other times Scripture can be upbeat and joyous and it makes me want to jump and shout and, and run all over the place because I'm super excited. Does anybody else get that way or is it just me? Like it's just, yes, right? So I'm not alone in that. I thought I was weird. But then I've also realized that there are passages of Scripture that are very direct, very pointed, and they stir you up. And then sometimes, just sometimes, man, passages just plain sting. They stab you right in the front. Bam! And it hits you like a ton of bricks. We're about to look at probably one of the most uncomfortable portions of Scripture outside of what I would say maybe the book of Judges. This is probably one of the most uncomfortable portions of Scripture. One might even say that it's crass, it's confrontational, it's loud. But some, some people need for it to get loud. I had someone tell me, probably about two and a half or maybe three years ago, I had someone come to me and we were getting ready to put on a conference uh, slash parent night uh, for our children's ministry and we were going to be doing some teaching on parenting. And we had probably about 70 or 80 parents who were, who were signed up to show up to this event. And I had a parent come up afterwards and they were like, you know, I, I don't believe that we should ever raise our voice to our children. And initially in my flesh, I wanted to be like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Like that. Initially in my flesh. 
but I took a step back and I wanted to hear the person out. But then the more they talked, the more all of these thoughts began to come to me. If we should never ever raise our voice to our child, I thought, well, what if my house was on fire? What if my house was on fire? What if my kid was on the other side of the house and instead of yelling, I'm like, Israel, come on. You're going to die if you stay in here. I mean, as, as funny as that seems, that was what was going on in my head. What if my house was on fire? What, what, if my, what if my little child was about to run out into the street and they didn't see a car? What then? Well, what if they were going to pick up cigarette butts off the floor and put them into their mouth? What then? What if they're just not listening at all? And you guys never had to deal with that, right? Our kids always listen. Well, what happens? What happens in those situations and those circumstances? But you raise your voice. You raise your voice to get your child's attention. And that's exactly what's going on here in Malachi 2. God is shouting at his people. He's trying to get their attention. Listen, God already moved away from relational affirmation. He gave that to them in chapter 1. He's beyond that. He's saying, I'm going to get intense. Why? Because what I'm about to say to you is difficult. What I'm about to say is difficult. He's saying, I love you, and because I love you, I have to say these things to you. I need you to understand. I need your undivided attention. Listen, just I want to throw this out here, a little side note. Most of the yelling done by God is towards men. I just wanted to throw that out there. Women, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. That just means that most of the stuff that's recorded in the Bible where God has raised his voice, so to speak, was, was geared towards men. Why? Because men were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the houses. That's why. You're to be the one that sets, sets the standard for how we're going to live life according to Scripture. And even if you're a, a non-married man in here or you are a single lady in here, you can still set the standard for that until one day God blesses you with holy union with another. And then in doing so, yes, the man should set the standard. But that doesn't depreciate the woman's value, as we heard back on Mother's Day. And if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It's online. God is passionate. And there is an urgent cry coming from a father. An urgent cry. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning in this passage is that unspiritual people have bad hearing and hard hearts. Unspiritual people have bad hearing and hard hearts. You see it in the text, like, will, will you not hear? God is saying, will you not lay it upon your heart? They won't listen the Israelites won't change. They're hard-hearted. They're hard-headed. They're hard of hearing. God can't get through to them. Why? Because they won't listen. They will not listen to him. Now, let me ask you a question, though. Because really, there's a question that we all should be asking ourselves in the midst of this. Uh, oftentimes, we might have the mentality of, oh, that's not me. I listen to everything God says. 
I respond appropriately according to scripture. But everything in, in us wants to go there, right? Or is it just, just me when I read scripture? I, I want to be prideful and be like, nah, that's not me. Great, I'll stand alone in that, that's fine. We really should be asking ourselves as we read through and hear scripture, well, what area of my life is God trying to speak with me right now? What area of my life, what area do I not want to change? What area am I just holding on to? What aspect of my life have I gotten hard towards God about? Like, don't, don't, don't talk to me about that. No, 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 no. We're just going to close that closet over there. What, what about God begins to work in you and you're like, no, 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 not listening. Anyone ever do that as a kid? God, I, I don't want to change. What about this, what about this excuse? I, I don't want conflict. So let's just be passive in our relationship with the Lord. I am the way that I am. And that's one of the worst things that I hear people say, especially Christians. And I'm going to just kind of trace this rabbit trail for just a moment, okay? The, the I am the way that I am statement. This is my personality statement. That is a, a slap in the face of God. You are saying that God can't change you and make you more into his image. And that is a disgrace to the, the holiness that has been instilled and imputed onto our lives the moment we become children of God. And so if you are in here and you are saying, well, I, I, that's just the way that I am. Or I can't change. I've always done it this way. Well, then guess what? There's a part of your life that you idolize more than being changed by God. There's a part of your life that needs to be reevaluated by God. We should be begging of God, convict me, Lord. Reveal to me areas of my life that need to change, that need to be removed chiseled away sanctification goes on church until the day we are no longer here and so we're always supposed to be changing and growing more into the image of Christ and so if there are ways areas aspects of your life that you are saying change me how about you just leave me alone don't touch that one thing. Whatever it is, don't touch it. For, for many of us, there are probably at least one or more areas in our lives where we're saying, God, that's off limits to you. That's off limits. Just leave that alone. But God wants us to change. God wants us to be different. But he won't force that change upon us. God won't, won't force. And if we don't allow him to change and work in us, then God will never work through us. You know, we're, we're in conflict 
with God when we don't respond to his word. And, and when we are in conflict with God, that usually results in us being in conflict with everybody else around us. You know, when, when we're resistant to change, church, we end up in the same position that the Israelites are in right now, and then our children are infected and affected because of our lifestyle choices. You know, it's not God's desire for that to be the case. It's the result of our own choice not to listen to him. It's a consequence of our sin. And so church, I want you to to hear me out. It's not going to hit the screen, but I want you to hear something. I want you to write it down. Don't. Do not live under the myth that you can do what you want and you can live how you want to live and it doesn't affect anybody around you. Don't follow that myth. Every choice that we make affects our circle of influence in some way, shape, or form. And so don't follow the lie. Listen, Paul even wrote, and side note here, commercial break, Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Romans. You don't want to miss it. It's been fantastic for us to look at the doctrines in the Bible. And we're going to come across a verse in which Paul says that none of us live unto himself and none of us die unto himself. What Paul was saying is that everything that you do affects somebody. Everything. Every word that is spoken. Every action that we do, every thought that we think that comes to fruition in one's life affects somebody. A great, great pastor friend of mine always said to us, you never sin alone. You never sin alone. Your sinful choices will always affect those closest to you first. So don't close your eyes. Don't turn your head. Don't harden your heart to the pain that you will inflict upon people because of your own choices. Please don't claim to love Jesus, but choose your sin over him. Don't claim to love Jesus and then choose your sin over him. It upsets God and it wrecks and ruins lives and it brings about a curse is what God's word says. A curse. You know, it means that we live a life of sinful choices and there will always be an effect to them. Always. When Christians and parents and teachers and pastors turn their backs on God, a lot of people suffer. You know, followers of, of God should live under the burden of holy responsibility. And we should realize the implications of our actions. And we should recognize that when we sin, eventually it's going to be made known. Eventually it will be made known. There was a, a man by the name of Michael Catt, and he wrote uh, a very powerful book called The Power of Surrender. And he said this, what happens in private will eventually become public now or in eternity, but ultimately we can't sin and get away with it. But be sure your sin will find you out. Man, 
unspiritual people have bad hearing and hard hearts. But unspiritual people also harm their families and themselves. They harm their families and themselves. For those of you who are writing down that that quote by Michael Catt, I can get it to you if you didn't get all of it. I want us to look back real quick at verse number three. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the the dung of your offspring, and you shall be taken away with it. Now stop right there. This is perhaps one of the most intense things that God says to a group of people. I mean, I've been trying to think through and pray through all week long how to approach this one single verse. I mean, we look at it and when we start to read it and we're thinking to ourselves, is God allowed to say that? I mean, at least that's what I thought. Like, is God even allowed to say this? And then I was like, okay, well, maybe that's just the KJV version of it. But then I went to the ESV, which I teach out of, I'm like, it's there too. I'm like, why would God use such strong language? Like, I would wash my kid's mouth out with soap if they said that. Man, I mean, why why are we even talking about this in church? I mean, it's awkward. I've never heard that in Sunday school before. I mean, I, I tried to find ways around it. In fact, I probably read nearly a dozen commentators to prepare for this message, and every single one of the dozen skirted around this one single verse. No one wanted to touch it. I called a few pastor friends of mine, I called my mentor told them where I was at and they're like "Ooh, that's a tough one and that's really all they said I got no help no help from anybody and I I guess that's why some people will refuse to preach through an entire book because stuff like this comes out and I thought to myself poor Malachi he had to write it and he had to speak it to the people like really God you want me to put that But I want us to make sense of something here because it's so crucial and it's so important for us to understand this. First, let me just say this. There is a, a, an enormous or an immense amount of seriousness here from God. An immense amount of seriousness. You know, God is saying, I hear what you're saying. And I see what you're doing. I see it. I see everything that you're doing. I see your heart. And this is what God is saying. It's revolting. It's repulsive to me. These people were fooling a lot of people. The, the, the people around them could not truly see their heart. But God is saying, you're not fooling me. You're not fooling me. They looked clean but they were filthy inside. And God is saying, I'm repulsed by that because I can see both the internal and the external. And God is saying, I'm going to expose you. 
to the people around you. Listen, if you've ever been fishing or hunting or you've ever had to butcher some kind of meat, there is a part of the animal that you throw away. You don't keep it. You get rid of it. You don't eat it. Why? Because it's bad. It's nasty and it has a smell to it. Okay? And, and when a priest would offer up an animal for a sin offering, there were parts that he threw away. And it's the same parts that we would throw away today. And there was a certain portion that was kept. And then there was a certain portion that was eaten. And God is saying, I'm going to take all those nasty parts all the things that you would throw away, all the things that you wouldn't want near you, and I'm going to smear them on you because you are defiled. You're disgraced. You're disqualified. I'm finished with you. I'm finished with your sinfulness. You're wicked. You're leading people astray. And it's enough. Some of the harshest words spoken by God. But I want you to notice something. Leading up to this, God was still extending grace. Even in saying what he did, he was still extending grace. Two times leading up to him saying this, he said, if, if, as if they would change, as if they would do something different. He's like, this is your last chance. Straighten up. Seek my face. Stop hurting other people. Stop hurting yourself. Stop corrupting people. Stop leading people astray. Listen, a word of warning to churches. Not just this one, but all churches. Just because there's a cross in your building, on your building. Just because you have a steeple outside, somewhere. Just because you label the, the sign with church does not mean that Christ is preached in the pulpit and is honored in the lives of the people who tend. There are a lot of churches and there are a lot of leaders that love Jesus and hate sin, but there are a lot of churches that stink just like Malachi chapter 2. Like worst sermon ever. Let's pack it up and go home. But pastor, what do we do? Where do we go from here? How do we learn from this? Well, that's the beauty of Scripture. Because after the correction, there's always a response in Scripture. There's always something that tells you this is the alternative to worldliness. This is it. And so we've looked at how unspiritual people have bad hearing and hard hearts. We've looked at how spiritual, unspiritual people harm their families and themselves. So what now? The last point I want us to see, and I'm going to run through this piece very quickly, is the benchmarks of a spirit-filled and Christ-centered church. The benchmarks. Side note, we will also cover these 
in, Rebel, or in, in the book of Romans on Wednesday nights, 6.30. What are some things that will show up when a church is following Christ? We, we have things laid out for us here in the text as God points to Levi, as God points to the covenant. And he says, I want to use these things and use Levi as a representative to minister to my people and to speak God's word to them. You know, there are certain requirements that God reminds these people that must be met or they cannot glorify him. The first Christ-like character. We, as a body of believers, must have a Christ-like character. You know, followers of Christ are not perfect. They're human. They make mistakes. But the real thing to look at is their character. You see a phrase in verse number 5. It says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him and it was a covenant of what fear it was a covenant of fear living with fear of God affects how we think and how we act and how we talk you know fearing God is the first character attribute in Christ-like character fearing the Lord fearing the Lord I believe one of the wisest men outside of, of Jesus Christ in the Bible talked extensively on fear of the Lord. Do you guys remember who that was? Solomon. Solomon talked extensively. He said, if, if you receive my words or the words of God is what he was saying, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Proverbs chapter 2. Fear is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1. Extensively, he talked about fear of God. Do you know how, how we live our life every single day? It says a lot about how much we love the Lord and how much we live for him. I, I would hate for someone to say I'm a Christian and yet walk outside of this building and live like a heathen. What a disgrace to the very thing that God has saved you from. But I, I want to just, I just want to say something here. And I want to be very careful. I want to be very careful in saying this. But let me just say, there are there are people that I would call church nitpickers. Church nitpickers. They're the fault finders in a church. And they're, they're overly critical of everything. Like, listen, I, I understand. I understand that a lot of you sitting in this room have been hurt by spiritual authority. I understand that. I understand that... Um, that some of those things that occurred were unnecessary and unprovoked. And those pastors should be asking forgiveness for those things. And I, I get that. But then there are some who simply just don't want any spiritual authority over their life whatsoever. And they find the flaw 
in every single leader of the church. They find the flaw. I mean, like if Jesus came back right now in the flesh and he became your pastor, you wouldn't like his sandals. That's what I'm talking about. Like you would struggle with his style. Like Jesus would need a haircut in order to be your pastor. Like he's kind of a hippie because of the way that he dresses. Followers of Christ, disciple makers, we have to know that criticism comes with the territory. Criticism of being a follower of Jesus Christ comes with the territory. We are not here to be popular. We're, we're not here to be the greatest and the best. And there are going to be personality conflicts and preferences that sometimes cause issues. But the real issue to look at is someone's character. How is their life outside of these four walls? Is he faithful to his wife? Is she faithful to her husband? Is he a thief? Does she, does she scream and yell all the time? Do they break the law? Do they, do they lead people astray in using the Bible? These are all questions that we should ask of somebody's life. Christ-like character. Christ-like character. The second thing is a clear understanding of Scripture. A clear understanding of Scripture. Verse number 6. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips talking of Levi. A clear understanding. Is there clarity in the way that we handle the word of God? Is there clarity? I mean, do you understand it for yourself? Is it foggy for you or is it nourishing for you? I mean, I'm not just talking about being a good communicator here. All right? I'm not just talking about those who lead Bible studies or those who teach the children, or the youth ministry. I'm talking about when we have gospel-related conversations with our friends and family, I'm not talking about being a good communicator. I'm talking about truth. He said true instruction was in his mouth. Not, not just instruction. Not false instruction. He said true instruction was in his mouth. True. Good, strong Biblical content. The disciple maker's job is to not always be liked, it's to be clear. Did you catch that? The disciple maker is not here to be liked. They're here to communicate truth. Next is real consistency. You know, Levi, it said he had a walk with God, meaning he was consistent in his life. His lifestyle was consistent with what he talked about. Now, if you're a follower of God, you can't be living one way at church and another way at home. It doesn't work. I've found oftentimes we will come to church and speak our Christianese, and then we will go home and have a potty mouth. Don't pretend to play the game. Have a walk, church. Have a walk with Jesus Christ. Why? 
Because it's the only way for us to grow. It's the only way for us to be a representative. Stay true to his word. And then the last one is right courage. Right courage. Do you know there's a difference in being harsh and brash and being courageous? Those are vastly different things. Know what you're being courageous for and about and why. Do you know a soldier and a terrorist both have courage, but only one of them is right in their cause? Do you guys get that? A soldier and a terrorist both have courage, but only one of them is right in their cause. Courage is not fighting and fussing with every single person in order to get your way. Courage is seeking God for strength to do and say what glorifies him. And sometimes that means humility. Sometimes that means humbling yourself. And so this morning as we close, church, as a a church, we must realize the importance of being Christ-centered in everything that we do. And as a church, we are to make sure that Christ is honored in how we teach and how we serve and how we work and how we pray in this life. Look with me at verse 8 and 9 real quick. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Because listen, this church and these ministries are not my ministries and they're not your ministries. And the priests forgot that. And the people began to bring about their own agendas and private wars began to happen within the people and it became to see passive obedience and an upset father. But look at verse number eight. He says, but you have turned aside from the way because you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I... I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. The reality here in these verses is that ultimately because of sin, Israel lost her ability to influence people for God. They lost their ability to influence people for God because of sinfulness. Israel was no longer able to be a representative of God because of sinfulness. When churches are more sinful and secular than they are spiritual, lost people end up mocking God. When churches are more sinful and secular than they are spiritual. Lost people end up mocking God. And so there's a challenge in here for each and every one of us. This isn't just this side of the room or that side of the room or the balcony or those. This is for every single person who hears this that is a child of God. The challenge is one of two things. One of two things. What camp do you find yourself in? What camp? Do you find yourself in Levi's camp? The one who has true instruction on their lips? The one who fears the Lord? The one who walks with him? Or do we find ourselves more leaning towards the group of Israelites? The ones who like to speak it, but our heart is is revolting to God. 
Or, or maybe you're like, well, I'm not sure if I fall into either one of those camps. I wouldn't say that I'm completely sold out, but I wouldn't say that I'm completely depraved. Well, then get off the fence. Then get off the fence. The Christian, the Christian life is, is not about having one foot in the church and one in the world. The Christian life is not about playing church on Sundays and Wednesdays and then over here toying with the things of the devil. In fact, for those of you who went through the Revelation Bible study, this should scare you a little bit. But Revelation chapter 4, God would, weather, would, would rather you be hot or cold but not lukewarm. Why? Because the lukewarm one is useless to him. In fact, he says that I will vomit the lukewarm one out of my mouth. That's a scary, scary, scary place. If I straddle the fence, if I'm not sold out for God, or if I'm not completely depraved that I, I, I push away all things holiness, that I'm the one that will be spewed out, vomited out of God's mouth. And that is a very scary, scary thing to even think about. Man, imagine if your spouse came to you and said, you're useless. Imagine if your boss came to you and said, you're useless to me. How would you feel? Man, magnify that by an infinite number. God is saying, if you're on the fence, you're useless to me. Useless. And so church is a challenge for each and every one of us in here. Where am I at with God? Where am I at? Listen, followers are prone to make mistakes. We're still sinful beings. But does my life resemble more of Christ or the world? Because to be 100% honest with with this congregation, with this church. Our prayer since day one was not that we would have the biggest and most massive congregation. Not that we would have all the, the cool gadgets, as cool as they are. But our prayer has been and will forever be that we are a church of faithful people. That we display faithfulness to God and God alone. It doesn't matter if we're a church of 700, and I'd love for us to be a larger church, and I'd love to see more and more new people coming through the doors and, and allowing them to be integrated into our body and to serve alongside of us and to fellowship with us and to break bread with us Acts chapter 4 tells us that they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to breaking of bread. They were devoted to worship together as one body. And so church, uh, above all things, we are to strive to be a church of faithfulness to truth. And that's the faithfulness to God's word only. And in doing so, we can't straddle the fence. We can't be a church that, that walks the line and kind of puts our toe into the world a little bit. 
oh, Sunday's here. I got to put on my facade and make sure I look good walking into church. Everything's great. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, great. Grand, grand. Woo. When you're falling apart inside. And we, we can't be over here claiming to love God and being so immersed in the culture that nobody could even tell the difference. And so, church, the, the challenge for you, get off the fence. Get off the fence. Get alone with God. And I know I'm kind of throwing things off here at the moment, but I believe before we leave this building today, we have to make sure that we know where we stand. We have to make sure. And so if there is some way for us to get a little bit of music playing in the background uh, here in just a moment, church, I'm asking everyone to please bow your heads and close your eyes and be in an attitude of prayer. Because right now in this place, we have to know. We have to be like David in praying, God, search me and know me. If there's any wicked way within me, please reveal it to me. Why? So it can be severed out of my life. And so if you're in here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I have no relationship with God. I don't even know what that means. I've been living all in the world claiming to be a Christian, but yet I want to make a stand. I want to do this life differently so that people come to see Jesus in me. If that's you, then it's time for you to cry out to God. It's time for you to commit your life into a greater purpose. And that's it. You get to cry out to God right here. You don't have to say any special words. In fact, and in fact, there is no sinner's prayer listed in the Bible. The one that we were all taught as kids is not there. We, we have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. Confess and believe is what, what Romans tells us. That Christ came and lived a sinless life and that he died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and by the power of God he was resurrected three days later. It says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. And so if that's you, you can cry out to God and confess those things. And if you believe in your heart, it says that you shall be saved. And then maybe you're on the other hand and you're like, well, pastor, I, I have a good relationship with the Lord. I, I believe it, it's growing. It's not stagnant. Well, what do I do? Great. Pat yourself on the back and persevere. Keep going. Keep going and then come alongside of somebody else who's struggling and saying, let me put my arm around you. Let me walk with you. I mean, everyone's head bowed, eyes closed. Be respectful of the people around you. How many of you right now, nobody's looking, how many of you could raise your hand and say, I really need somebody in my life. I don't have anybody in my life that will walk alongside of me. I mean, raise your hand. There's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. There are hands up all over this room saying, that's me, I, I, don't, I, I don't have somebody. What about on the other side of that? Is there anyone in here willing to raise their hand and say, I haven't really been living the way that I've been saying I have? Saying, I, I'm a Christian, but yet I'm not living the life that God has called me to. There are hands all over the room. Guys, we're all sinners together here. No one is greater than the other. 
And, and if you've been coming to Wednesday nights, you will have seen that the last three weeks. Not one person is better than another. I, as your pastor, am no greater than anybody else. I'm no better. I'm a sinner cut from the same cloth, guys. And so what do we do? It's time to get alone with God in this place and figure out where you're at. I'm going to challenge you to, to get out of your seats. I'm going to challenge you to come to the altar here. And if you want prayer, if you want someone to come alongside of you and to pray with you, will you just stay standing? Will you stay standing up here at the altar? But I'm going to challenge you as the music begins to play at this time. I want you to get out of your seats. I want you to get alone with God. Come to the altar. Say, God, where am I? Have I been living this life? Who's going to be the first one? doesn't matter where we're at in life. It doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for 40 years of our lives. We can all continue to press in to the Lord. I love that James says that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. suffering with us. We thank you that your kindness leads us to a place of repentance. Lord, I wonder how many are waiting to be driven there, but we know that's not how you work. We know, Lord, that, that you want for us to be ambassadors for you, to be the best representation of, of, of your son. And so I'm asking, Lord, for a craving for holy things. As, as someone once said, Lord, I'm asking that you would change the taste buds of our heart to crave what your desires are for us. That we would press in to truth. That we would be meditating and saturating our minds with, with godly things. That we would find someone to come alongside or to have someone come alongside ourselves so that we can continue to grow together. Lord, I ask 
for faithfulness to be a staple of who we are as a a people, a body of believers that are gathered together. And Lord, must we never forget that it takes time spent in your word to produce godly fruit. And you told us, Lord, that they would know that we are your disciples by our fruit. And so here we are, willing and ready to be used by you, to be your vessel, Lord. It's time for some of us to to take steps of obedience and and to just stop the mindset of, oh, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. Lord, it's time for us to, to move. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us boldness as we leave from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.